The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. Thanks for joining us today. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on this show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I will never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. So we're going to have a good show for you today. I'm excited about this show because I think it's going to be very informative about a lot of things that people care about, but not necessarily uh, they're hearing a lot about on the news. Um, I'm, I'm going to specifically talk about a New York Times article that I found very interesting. The, the article was written by Scott Shane, Nicole Perloff, excuse me, Per Roth, and David Sanger, and it was published on November 12th. And it's a, it's a really good read. I, I, I highly recommend you, you dig it up. But we're going to be talking about that in some other related articles in relations to some of the leaks that have been happening in the intelligence agencies here in the United States, specifically the NSA and the CIA. So the Times is reporting that a serial leak of the NSA's cyber weapons has damaged the agency's morale, slowed intelligence operations, and resulted in hacking attacks on businesses and United States interests around the world. So the center of the Times story is a gentleman named Jake Williams. Uh, He's a former member of the NSA's Elite Tailored Access Operations Team, otherwise known as the TAO, And we've mentioned that on this program many times before. We've spoken about the TAO. So Mr. Williams is a a cybersecurity expert who now runs his own cybersecurity firm called Rendition InfoSec. So apparently, Mr. Williams wakes up one day to find some disconcerting tweets on Twitter from a group called Shadow Brokers. Shadow Brokers is a mysterious organization that somehow obtained the hacking tools owned by the NSA that the United States has been using for years to spy on other countries. Sensitive stuff. So after Mr. Williams had written on his own company blog about the Shadow Brokers, the group had replied on Twitter, correctly identifying him as an NSA TAO member, something that Williams hadn't disclosed publicly before. He didn't tell anyone. And then the shadow brokers gave him a punch to the gut by dropping technical details that made it obvious they knew about highly classified hacking operations that he personally conducted. So a few concerns here. Number one, obviously, how did they get that information? But number two, I mean, the possibility of a foreign adversary knowing the identity of TAO members is a really big concern. For a host of very good reasons. It would seem that on its face, America's largest and most secretive intelligence agency had been deeply infiltrated, as the Times reported. So, Williams told the Times reporters that shadow brokers had operational insight that even most of his fellow operators at TO did not have. And he bemoaned that he felt like he'd been kicked in the gut. That whoever wrote this either was a well-placed insider or had stolen a lot of operational data, which is a very, very serious accusation, a serious conclusion, and one that unfortunately seems very plausible at this moment. So for those of you not familiar with the shadow brokers, the shadow brokers have been disclosing secret NSA cyber weapons since 2016 and have basically been a total nightmare for the NSA. Leon Panetta, the former defense secretary and director of the CIA, said these leaks have been incredibly damaging to our intelligence and cyber capabilities and that the fundamental purpose of intelligence is to be able to effectively penetrate our adversaries in order to gather vital intelligence. But its very nature, but by its very nature, that only works if secrecy is maintained and our codes are, codes are protected. So every time you lose sensitive information, you essentially have to start over. 
And, and this, is, this is very bad, obviously, for so many reasons. Not to play Captain Obvious, but it's bad. Time, money, data theft. I mean, lives could even be in danger. I could go on forever, but bad, bad, and more bad news. So the article states that NSA's counterintelligence arm, known as the Q Group, in concert with the FBI, are now 15 months into a wide-ranging investigation into the disclosure of NSA secrets by the shadow brokers, and apparently, according to the article, they don't know much about who the perpetrators are yet. That's pretty troubling. Some suspect Russia as the most likely perpetrator, Some suspect an insider's leak, and some suspect both. There have been three employees that have been arrested since 2015 for taking classified files, but there is fear that there are one or more leakers that may still be operating within the highly secretive NSA TAO. And there's broad agreement that the damage from the shadow brokers already far exceeds the harm to American intelligence done by Edward Snowden the former NSA contractor, who fled the country with four laptops of classified material in 2013. Now, that's quite a statement. So you don't hear about this nearly as much as you heard about Snowden, or still hear about Snowden, but for some reason, this situation appears much, much worse. So the article goes on to say that Mr. Snowden's cascade of disclosures to journalists and his defiant public stance drew far more media coverage than this new breach. And the analogy used was that if Mr. Snowden released code words, then the shadow brokers have released the actual code. If he shared what might be described as battle plans, then the shadow brokers have revealed the actual weapons themselves. Created at huge expense to American taxpayers, those cyber weapons have now been picked up by hackers from North Korea to Russia and shot back at the United States and its allies. It's something like throwing a grenade into your enemy's foxhole, but they find it, they pick it up, and they throw it right back at you, now using it as their own. Using your own weapons against you. That's sort of what's going on here. It's not a good situation. The weapons have been used to attack many corporations and individuals. Millions of people saw their computers shut down by ransomware with demands for payments in digital currency to have their access restored. Tens of thousands of employees at Mondelez International, the maker of Oreo cookies, had their data completely wiped. FedEx reported that an attack on a European subsidiary had halted deliveries at a cost of $300 million. Hospitals in Pennsylvania, Britain, and Indonesia had to turn away patients. And the attacks disrupted production at a car plant in France, an oil company in Brazil, and a chocolate factory in Tasmania, among thousands of enterprises affected worldwide. Thousands. So all this left American officials with a lot of explaining to do to a great many people. How is it possible that our own weapons, developed in shrewd secrecy, by one of our most secretive intelligence agencies, had fallen into the hands of the bad guys and were being used to digitally slaughter Western companies and attack U.S. interests. And it seems people, people fear that there's much more to come. It's not even close to being over yet. So, of course, you can predict what has to go down here. There's really no way around it. The NSA has to find the insider if there really is one. And they have to do it fast. Now, as you can imagine, this is going to cause a great deal of turmoil in the agency. And there's really nothing you can do to prevent that. From an investigator's standpoint, if I look at this from an investigator's standpoint, everyone who had access to those hacking tools is suspect. Everyone, from the beginning. Any type of bias is going into the investigation is going to cloud your judgment. They have to be. So forensic bit-by-bit images of computers and laptops and smartphones, email databases, all being taken right now, I'm sure. All long time ago. So we're 15 months into it. Interviews have to be conducted. Polygraphs have to be administrated. 
a complete and comprehensive investigation into the employee's behaviors, their personal lives, their phone records, relationships, financial transactions, medical records. I mean, full and comprehensive profiles of the entire target population has to be redone. So this is going to require employees to take first forced time off, to interrupt and expose any bad behaviors they might be engaged in. And what is all this going to do? It's, it's going to cause a morale problem. It's going to cause morale to hit the basement. And apparently, according to the New York Times sources, that, that's exactly what's happening. So with all this bad stuff going on, to a lot of operators, it probably seems like a good time to cash in on your training and skill sets and land a job in the private sector that pays you a lot more without having to answer to a polygraph operator on questions about your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your vacation destinations or what kind of music you listen to. Look, I mean, that's bad for the United States. We need to keep the talent where we need it. I, I, you know, the last thing we, we want to see is for the private sector to be draining talent out of some of our most important intelligence agencies because of morale problems. So Williams expressed frustration in the article, opining that it's a disaster on multiple levels, and it's embarrassing that the people responsible for this have not been brought to justice. Now, I totally get where he's coming from. This is embarrassing, obviously. No one wants this, right? This is not good on any measure, right? By any measure. But, but considering your adversary... It's not surprising. And it's not surprising in the least that they haven't been brought to justice. I mean, after all, Mr. Williams has not been brought to justice for hacking other foreign nations. I mean, in their countries, right? He didn't do anything wrong in our country. He's a patriot. He's serving his country. But in other countries... They're doing the same thing. So I wouldn't expect anybody to be brought to justice. I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? I have zero expectations of anyone getting pinched for this, right? It's not going to happen. Let's not kid ourselves. But I understand his frustration. And he wants to know who's doing this, like we all do. So, of course, the Times reached out to the NSA to find out. They did ask him about the alleged morale issue. And his NSA spokesman said... He doesn't know what they're talking about. There's no morale issue here. Everything's fine. It's all barbecues and ball games. Everything here is copacetic. He said he get 140,000 applications a year to work at the NSA, and everyone loves the place. So the NSA spokesperson refused to answer any questions on shadow brokers, which is expected, of course. I mean, no surprise there. In the meantime, the shadow brokers have gone on and online ball-busting campaign taunting the NSA in broken English. And an analysis of the tauntings and writings gives some of, the, some of the impression that the author is either American or knows America well, not exactly given American officials a warm, fuzzy feeling about the possibility of an insider still lurking in their most sensitive intelligence operations. The shadow brokers will write things like, quote-unquote, is the NSA chasing shadows? while gratuitously announcing a price cut for subscriptions to its monthly dump service I mean, of stolen NSA tools. You heard me. Monthly dump service of stolen NSA tools. It's a huge slap in the face, and it's a very provocative, very inflammatory move that shows a little bit of a lack of maturity and understanding of how to interface with adversaries who have similar, if not superior, skill sets than they do in some cases. I mean, unlike Sun Tzu, in the cyber world, irritating your enemy is not a good idea. We've got to go to commercial break, but we have a lot more to talk about on the show today. We're going to go over Vault 7, and we're going to go over in greater detail how the spilled secrets and NSA leaks have shaken one of the most prestigious intelligence agencies in the world to its core. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday 11 Pacific, 
This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. When it comes to successful marketing, nothing speaks louder than your company name. A clear, concise, and compelling brand identity opens doors and invites further conversation. If you struggle to explain, educate, or clarify who you are and what you do, then you'll benefit from listening to Brilliant Branding with expert Phil Davis and co-host Liz Heemstra. Discover insider secrets from enlightened naming strategies to effective brand positioning. Tune in live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We've been talking about shadow brokers and the NSA leaks thus far, but now I want to talk about a related matter in which it seems that Russia is the prime suspect in a parallel hemorrhage of hacking tools and secret documents from the CIA's Center of Cyber Intelligence posted week after week since March of this year to a WikiLeaks website under the names Vault 7 and Vault 8. That breach, too, is is unsolved. The CIA does not know how those secret documents and hacking tools are exposed. But together, the flood of digital secrets from both the CIA and the NSA that invest huge resources in preventing such breaches is raising profound questions among lawmakers on what the hell exactly is going on here. So just a little bit about Vault 7. This is from a WikiLeaks press release dated Tuesday, March 7th, 2017. Today, WikiLeaks begins its new series of leaks on the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, codenamed Vault 7. Vault 7 is the largest ever publication of confidential documents from the CIA. That's a huge statement. And by the way, I'm no fan of WikiLeaks. But this is out there, and this is what's going on. So we got a report on it. The first full part of the series, Year Zero, compromises 8,761 documents and, and files from an isolated, highly, high, high security network situated inside the CIA's Center for Cyber Intelligence in Langley, Virginia. It follows an introductory disclosure. Last month of CIA targeting French political parties and candidates in the lead up until the 2012 presidential election. Recently, the CIA lost control of the majority of its hacking arsenal, including malware, viruses, trojans, weaponized zero-day exploits, malware remote control systems, and associated documentation. This extraordinary collection, which amounts to more than 700 million lines of code, gives its processor or possessor the entire hacking capability capacity of the CIA. The entire hacking capacity of the CIA. 8,761 documents, several hundred million lines of code, the largest ever publication of confidential documents from the CIA. Terrible. The archive appears to have been circulated among former U.S. government hackers and contractors in an unauthorized manner, one of whom has provided WikiLeaks with portions of the archive. Year Zero introduces the scope and direction of the CIA's global covert hacking program, its malware arsenal, and dozens of zero-day weapons, weaponized exploits against a wide range of U.S. and European company products, including Apple's iPhone, Google's Android, and Microsoft's Windows, and even Samsung TVs 
which are turned into covert microphones. Since 2001, the CIA has gained political and budgetary preeminence over the U.S. National Security Agency. This, this is where I think it gets kind of interesting. You know, who knows what's what, but this is the perception that they're putting out there. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people buy into this right away. Um, I don't find WikiLeaks to be credible. So, um, but then this is their opinion, not exactly a fact, but this is what's out there. The CIA found itself building not just its now infamous drone fleet, but a very different type of covert globe-spanning force, its own substantial fleet of hackers. The agency's hacking division freed it from having to disclose its often controversial operations to the NSA, its primary bureaucratic rival, in order to draw on the NSA's hacking capacities. So by the end of 2016, the CIA's hacking division, which formally falls under the agency's Center for Cyber Intelligence, or the CCI, as it's known, had over 5,000 registered users and had produced more than 1,000 hacking systems, Trojans, viruses, and other weaponized malware. Now, 5,000 people with over 1,000 cyber weapons, that's a pretty significant operation. Such is the scale of the CIA's undertaking that by 2016, its hackers had utilized more code than that used to run Facebook. The CIA had created, in effect, its own NSA with even less accountability without publicly answering the question as to whether such a massive budgetary spend on duplicating the capacities of a rival agency could be justified. In a statement to WikiLeaks, the source details policy questions that they say urgently need to be debated in public including whether the CIA's hacking capabilities exceed its mandated powers in the problem of public oversight of the agency. The source wishes to initiate a public debate about the security creation, use, proliferation, and democratic control of cyber weapons. Once a single cyber weapon is loose, it can spread around the world in seconds to be used by rival states, cyber mafia, and teenage hackers alike. Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks editor, stated that there is an extreme proliferation risk in the development of cyber weapons. Comparisons can be drawn between the uncontrolled proliferation of such weapons, which results from the inability to contain them, combined with their high market value in the global arms trade. But the significance of year zero goes well beyond the choice between cyber war and cyberspace. The disclosure is also exceptional from a political, legal, and forensic perspective. WikiLeaks has carefully reviewed the Year Zero disclosure and published substantive CIA documentation while avoiding the distribution of armed cyber weapons until a consensus emerges on the technical and political nature of the CIA's program and how such weapons should be analyzed, disarmed, and published. So WikiLeaks has also decided to redact and anonymize some identifying information in Year Zero for an in-depth analysis. These redactions include tens of thousands of CIA targets and attack machines throughout Latin America, Europe, and the United States. So they also say, while we are aware of the imperfect results of any approach chosen, we remain committed to our publishing model and note that the quantity of published pages in Vault 7, Part 1, quote-unquote, Year Zero, already eclipses the total number of pages published over the first three years of the Edward Snowden NSA leaks. So CIA malware and hacking tools are built by the Engineering Development Group, WikiLeaks say, a software development group within CCI, a department belonging to the CIA's DDI, Directorate for Digital Innovation. The DDI is one of five major directorates of the CIA in the WikiLeaks news release. The EDG is responsible for the development, testing, and operational support of all backdoors, exploits, malicious payloads, trojans, viruses, and any other kind of malware used by the CIA in its covert operations worldwide. The increasing surveillance techniques, or the increasing sophistication of the surveillance techniques, has drawn comparisons with George Orwell's 1984, but Weeping Angel, developed by the CIA's Embedded Devices branch, which infests smart TVs, transferring them into covert microphones. The attack against Samsung smart TVs was developed in cooperation with the United Kingdom's MI5, 
And after infestation, Weeping Angel places the target TV in a fake-off mode so that the owner falsely believes that the TV is off when it is, when it is really on. In fake-off mode, the TV operates as a bug, recording conversations in the room and sending them over to the Internet to a covert, covert CIA server. As of October 2014, the CIA was also looking at infecting the vehicle control systems used by modern cars and trucks. The purpose of such control is not specified, but WikiLeaks goes on to say it would permit the CIA to engage in nearly undetectable assassinations. The CIA's mobile devices branch developed numerous attacks to remotely hack and control popular smartphones. Infected phones can be instructed to send the CIA the user's geolocation, audio and text communications, as well as covertly activate the phone's camera and microphone. Despite iPhone's minority share, 14.5%, of the global smartphone market in 2016, a specialized unit in the CIA's mobile development branch produces malware to infest, control, exfiltrate data from iPhones and other Apple products running iOS, such as iPads. CIA's arsenal includes numerous local and remote zero days developed by the CIA or obtained from GCHQ, NSA, FBI, or purchased from cyber arms contractors such as Bait Shop. The disproportionate focus on iOS may be explained by the popularity of the iPhone among social, political, diplomatic, and business elites. So a similar unit targets Google's Android, which is used to run the majority of the world's smartphones, about 85%, including Samsung, HTC, and Sony. 1.15 billion Android-powered phones were sold last year. Year zero shows that of 2016, the CIA had 24 weaponized Android zero days, which it has developed itself and obtained from the GCHQ, NSA, and cyber arms contractors. So these techniques permit the CIA to bypass the encryption of WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, Weibo, Confide, and Cloakman by hacking the smartphones that they run on and then collecting the audio and message traffic before the encryption is applied. So funny, you know, I didn't see Wicker on this list. And I've never seen Wicker on any list. I don't know if that's just an oversight or that's purposely done that way, but I've never seen Wicker on any list for anything that can be compromised by any government. Don't know why. I'll try to find out. So I, I take a look at bankinfosecurity.com, and bankinfosecurity.com broke down each element of the Vault 7 statement from WikiLeaks that I just went over. So here's how the information from security experts have reacted to WikiLeaks claims as well as the dump and information contained therein. First, the CIA hacks. WikiLeaks says the leaked information is meant to initiate a public debate about the security creation, use, proliferation, and democratic control of cyber weapons. But many security experts have responded to the leak by saying, in effect, that it shows the CIA doing exactly what it was designed to do, collect intelligence to help the president and senior U.S. government policymakers make the best possible national security decisions via a variety of different means. I mean, a cryptographer named Matt Blaze, an associate professor of computer and information science at the University of Pennsylvania, says via Twitter, that's the CIA's job. The CIA's job includes spying on targets who might have various electronics. This is exactly the sort of toolkit you'd expect them to have. It's not some sort of deep secret that the CIA's, that this is the CIA's job. I think it, it may be on their web page he even adds. So no shock and all value that the CIA is developing these types of weapons in the cybersecurity community. Now, whether they're supposed to or whether the NSA is supposed to or how they're supposed to team together is another, uh, work together is another story. But no, no shock in, that they're doing this type of thing. This is what they're supposed to be doing. Number two, Silicon Valley resists Assange's offer. So many of the specific exploits have been redacted from the, from the leaks. And Assange, in a, in a live stream press conference from the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he has claimed diplomatic asylum since 2012, said his organization would share vulnerability details directly with the affected firms. So Assange specifically says, we have decided to work with them to give them some exclusive access to some of the technical details we have so that fixes can be pushed out. 
At least some technology industry figures have declined that invitation and questioned Assange's motives, saying that when they see him, unwittingly or not, they see him as aiding Russians' geopolitical agenda. And I was just listening to the radio before. I was listening to MSNBC, and one of the broadcasters described Assange as a laundromat for Russian intelligence. So Thomas Ritt, a professor in security studies at King's College London, asked why WikiLeaks has chosen to dump this data now. In the recent past, they carefully timed releases for political effect. Intentionally or otherwise, the leaks have been seized on by conservative U.S. commentators such as Fox TV News host Sean Hannity to cast doubt on the U.S. government's attribution of 2016 presidential election interference to Russia. So, in other words, what he's trying to say is, how can we attribute any interference to Russia when all these tools are out there and anyone can be doing, anyone can be using them. It could be our, I think, insinuating, it could even be, you know, an United States organization doing this, making it look like it was Russia. I mean, there's all kinds of insinuations there. And I guess the, the main point is attribution is very difficult at this point, knowing that all these hacking tools are exposed. Fact number three. No false flags found. WikiLeaks, in a summary of Vault 7 information, says that Umbridge, the Umbridge team, part of the CIA's remote devices branch, collects and maintains a substantial library of attack techniques stolen from malware produced in other states, including the Russian Federation. It's not really clear why WikiLeaks singles out Russia when they talk about this. This could apply to many different countries. WikiLeaks also claims, with Umbridge and related projects, the CIA can not only increase its total number of attack types, but also misdirect attribution by leaving behind the fingerprints of the groups that the attack techniques were stolen from. It notes that the capabilities revealed in the leak range from keyloggers and password collection to webcam capture and data destruction. But the security experts say there's nothing to back up WikiLeaks' assertion that the CIA is attempting to run any such false flag operations using these harvested malware components like I just mentioned before about attribution. So there's nothing in the CIA Vault 7 leaks that calls into question strong attribution, like Russia being responsible for the DNC hacks, says Robert Graham, CEO of offensive security research firm Errata Security, in a blog post. According to the CIA documents, the Umbridge team, quote, maintains a library of application development techniques borrowed from in-the-wild malware, And that goal of this repository is to provide functional code snippets that can be rapidly combined into custom solutions. What we can conclusively say from the evidence in the documents is that they're creating snippets of code for use in other projects and they're reusing methods in code that they find on the Internet. Elsewhere, they talk about obscuring attacks so that you can't see where it's coming from, but there's no concrete plan to do false flag operations. They're not trying to say, we're going to make this look like Russia. I guess to my point that I was making previously in fact number two. Fact number four, antivirus checks. We've talked a little bit about this. One reveal from, one reveal from the leaked documents is that the CIA was sitting on exploits for antivirus software, including tools built by Finnish security firm F-Secure. Andy Patel, F-Secure's cyber Gandalf, that's his actual job title, it says here, is responsible for having built much of that software. He says F-Secure is reviewing very seriously allegations contained in the dump that there's a bypass for F-Secure's antivirus software. The discovery of bugs in a security product isn't unusual, the, the article notes. If there's one upside to the leaked data, and no, the firm say it doesn't plan on plan to pay a bug bounty to the CIA, it's that it shows no collusion between the CIA and antivirus vendors. And as you can see, nation-state adversaries need to make an effort to bypass our products just like cyber criminals do, Patel says. That's F-Secure. An interesting point, I think, you know, maybe taking a shot at Kaspersky here, who was recently accused of possibly colluding with the Russian government, to mine the computers of their customers for U.S. government classified information, and we've spoken about that in previous episodes. 
Fact number five, the CIA leaks, which include information as recent as 2016, show that the intelligence agency amassed exploits for mobile operating systems, including Apple iOS and Google Android. And both technology giants have responded to the leaks. Apple says that it believes that many of the revealed exploits have been patched as of the latest version of iOS. And a spokesman tells ISMG in a statement, our products and software are designed to quickly get security updates into the hands of our customers with nearly 80% of users running the latest version of our operating system, which is an interesting number, 80%. Google also says it's continuing to review the leaks, and they had a, a similar statement. We're confident that security updates and protections in both Chrome and Android already shield users from many of these alleged vulnerabilities. But most Android users simply aren't getting security and OS updates, and that leaves them very vulnerable to having their devices get exploited via known flaws, according to data gathered by F-Secure via its VPN customers. So here's the big problem. While the latest version of Android OS might be secure, the version of Android actually installed on the vast majority of phones is not. Not by a long shot, says Sean Sullian, a security advisor at F-Secure in a blog post. To maximize their security and privacy, Android users need to choose your hardware with care. Only a few select vendors are currently focused on providing Google's monthly security updates to end users. It's important to have the latest version. Fact number six. Some of the leak attack capabilities have revealed exploits that target firmware vulnerabilities. To help ensure the firmware doesn't get tampered with, Intel security researchers Christian Beek and Raj Samani have developed a simple module for the chipset framework that can be used to verify the integrity of EFI firmware executables on potentially impacted systems. The open source chipset framework can be used to assess the security and integrity of a variety of different types of hardware, BIOS, and platform configurations. Their new chipset module can be used to scan for the presence of EFI firmware, malware for Mac OS X systems called Dark Matter. EPI firmware malware is a new frontier for stealth and persistent attacks that may be used by sophisticated adversaries to penetrate and persist within organizations and national infrastructure for a very long time, the researcher says in a blog post. And the final fact, fact number seven, talks about phishing. They say that nation-state attacks and and worrying about zero-day flaws has long preoccupied cybersecurity watchers and professionals, which is true. And without a doubt, weaponized exploits are very sexy stuff, and that's why we talk about them a lot. But the long-standing advice about being the target of an intelligence agency stands. That is, if you're a target, then you take the necessary precautions. But for everyone else, focus your priorities. On the hacking front, that means watching out for phishing attacks and safeguarding your passwords and, and, and making sure you use a password manager and, and things like that. Don't forget to keep your software up to date. If we only talked about passwords, two-factor, and updates as much as we do zero days in nation states, we'd be a lot better off, says Runa Sandvik, a director of information security at the New York Times via Twitter. So we're coming up against another commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about what this all means to the United States and what is being done about it. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. When it comes to successful marketing, nothing speaks louder than your company name. A clear, concise, and compelling brand identity opens doors and invites further conversation. If you struggle to explain, educate, or clarify who you are and what you do, then you'll benefit from listening to Brilliant Branding with expert Phil Davis and co-host Liz Heemstra. Discover insider secrets from enlightened naming strategies to effective brand positioning. Tune in live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time 
time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. So back to the New York Times and the collective problem at hand. We have WikiLeaks in Vault 7 and Vault 8 concerning the CIA and the, and the leaks that are coming out of there. And then we have the shadow brokers and the NSA leaks. And, and what to do to stop these leaks is the top priority of the United States government right now and in these intelligence agencies. I mean, it, it, it must be chaos there. It seems our intelligence agencies are like a sieve right now. And the questions are being asked. Is it even possible to secure this data given the technology challenges that we have. And you look, we asked this question to many of our cybersecurity experts on this show regarding the Equifax breach and other major breaches. And from a technology perspective, the answer has been an overwhelming yes, you can protect this information. Is, is Russia just getting better at spying than we are? There's a little self-reflection going on. And, and can we trust a large, young workforce of techies to run our most sensitive Operations. The Times noted that some veteran intelligence officials believe the lopsided focus on offensive weapons and hacking tools has, for years, left America, American cyber defenses dangerously porous. So Mike McConnell, the former NSA director and national intelligence director, said this, We have had a train wreck coming. We should have ratcheted up for the defense parts significantly. Well, I mean, you know, that kind of statement just takes the air out of you, man. Just takes the air out of you. I mean, at, at the heart of the NSA crisis is tailored access operations, something we talk about a lot here, the TAO, the group where Mr. Williams worked, was recently absorbed into the agency's new director of operations. They got an outdated acronym, TAO, but it's still used informally in the NSA and it began years ago as a side project at the agency's research and engineering building at Fort Meade, commonly referred to affectionately as the Fort so as Washington's need for hacking capabilities grew, TIO expanded into a separate office park in Laurel, Maryland, with additional teams at facilities in Colorado, Georgia, Hawaii, and Texas. So the hacking unit attracts many of the agency's young stars, who like the thrill of Internet break-ins in the name of national security. This according to a dozen former government officials who agreed to describe its work on the condition of anonymity. So when I read this, I was stunned, right? I mean, we're wondering why we have leaks. A dozen guys, men or women, dozen people. Former government officials willing to talk about what they did when they were working for the United States government in a classified environment with security clearances. What are a dozen former NSA officials doing talking to the New York Times at once? Let me ask that question first. I mean, in this instance, they didn't say anything earth-shattering. They just said that young people like to, do, like to work on the TAO because they get to hack with immunity. And it's not a shock. I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean, there's nothing like earth-shattering there. You read that and you have to say to yourself, you know, how many other people with current or former clearances are out there talking to people that shouldn't be talking to? And it's no wonder we can't keep a secret around here. I mean, a dozen people. Not one, a dozen. So this is how it works. The TAO analysts start with a shopping list of desired information and likely sources. Let's just say it's a Chinese official's home computer or a Russian oil company's network. And much of the TAO's work is labeled ECI, which stands for Exceptionally Controlled Information. Material so sensitive, it was initially stored only in safes. Now get this. Allegedly... When the cumulative weight of the safes threatened the integrity of NSA's engineering building, 
One agency veteran said they changed the rules to allow locked file cabinets. <laughs> I mean, how many safes do you have to have in a building to almost bring it down? Can't make this up. The more experienced TAO operators devise ways to break into foreign networks. Junior operators take over to extract information. Makes sense. Mr. Williams, 40 years old, a former paramedic who served in the military intelligence in the Army before joining the NSA, worked in TAO from 2008 to 2013, which he described as an especially long tenure. He called the work challenging and sometimes exciting. Okay. TAO operators must constantly renew their arsenal to stay abreast of changing software and hardware, examining every Windows update and the new iPhone for vulnerabilities. The nature of the business is to move with the technology, a former TAO hacker said. Another former TAO hacker. Another former NSA official, officer, analyst, talking out of school. Long known mainly as the eavesdropping agency, the NSA has embraced hacking as an especially productive way to spy on foreign targets. The intelligence collection is often automated with malware implants, computer code designed to find material material of interest, and it's left sitting on targeted systems for months or years, gathering information and sending files back to the NSA. The same implant can be used for many purposes, to steal documents, tap into email, slightly change data, or become the launching pad for an attack. TAO's most public success was an operation against Iran called Olympic Games. And that's something that we highlighted uh, in, this, in this show a couple times. And we referred to the documentary Zero Days, uh, which is a great documentary. If you haven't seen it, you know, you should look it up. It's on YouTube, I believe. Uh, in which implants in the network of the Natanz nuclear plant cause centrifuges enriching uranium to self-destruct. It also mentions that the TAO was critical attacks on the Islamic State in North Korea. So it was the arsenal that the shadow brokers got a hold of and then began to release, which is the same arsenal that was involved in these attacks, I guess is the point. I mean, what a nightmare. Total freaking nightmare. Like cops studying a burglar's operating style and stash of stolen goods, the NSA analysts have tried to figure out what the shadow brokers took. None of the leaked files date from later than 2013, a relief to agency officials uh, assessing the damage. But they include a large share of TAO's collection, including three so-called ops disks, the TAO's term for toolkits, containing the software to bypass computer firewalls, penetrate windows, and break into the Linux systems most commonly used by Android phones. Joy. Evidence shows that the shadow brokers obtained the entire toolkits intact, suggesting that an insider might have simply pocketed a thumb drive and walked out. So I don't know if that suggests that, really. But with all the public information out there, it sure seems possible. I mean, the way I see it, this is the biggest problem facing the NSA right now. The mere possibility that they have a mole in the NSA leaking some of our most sensitive cyber weapons is a grave problem. And and the chaos and the trust issues and the moral issues that are going on there is exactly what our adversary wants to happen. Because in the end, this kind of stuff is going to seriously hinder the ongoing U.S. intelligence operations against them. So this is a win in more ways than one. But the Times says that other files obtained by the shadow brokers bore no relations to the op disk and seem to have been grabbed at different times. Basically saying that maybe there wasn't someone inside. Some were designed for a compromise by the NSA of SWIFT, the global financing messaging system, allowing the agency to track bank transfers. There was a manual for an old system codenamed United Rake and used to attack Windows. There were PowerPoint presentations and other files not used in hacking, making it unlikely that the shadow brokers had simply grabbed the tools left on the Internet by sloppy NSA hackers. So what it comes down to is this. No one really knows what the hell shadow brokers came into or how the shadow brokers came into possession of these cyber weapons. I mean, some of the officials doubt that the shadow brokers got it all by hacking. Uh, you know, hence the search for insiders. And then some TAO hackers think that skilled, persistent attackers might have been able to get through the NSA's defenses because, as one of them put it, I know we've done it to other countries. 
you know, one can only hope that there's an army of investigators on this, and they know a lot more than, than, than being told publicly, and they're getting a lot closer to solving this problem. But meanwhile, the shadow brokers continue to target NSA officers for harassment, including Mr. Williams. When he concluded from their Twitter hints that they knew about some of the hacks that he did while he was at NSA, he canceled a business trip to Singapore. So the concern being that the United States had named and criminally charged hackers from the intelligence agencies of China, Iran, and Russia, and I referenced this earlier on the show, and Williams feared that he could be similarly charged by a country he had targeted and arrested on an international warrant, which, quite frankly, is a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate concern. Now, the article says that he's resumed travel abroad, but he says no one from the NSA has contacted him about being singled out publicly by the shadow brokers. So two things here. Number one, why tell anyone you have resumed travel abroad? Why, why do that? I don't, I don't understand that. I don't get the purpose in telling anyone what you're doing, and that's probably something that maybe he should have kept to himself. I don't know. That's his business, I guess. But fact number two, or concern number two, how is it that the NSA has not reached out to this guy yet? How's that possible? I mean, you would think investors would have a myriad of questions for this guy, and I can think of a dozen right now off the top of my head. I mean, I don't even understand that. I don't, it doesn't give you a lot of confidence in the investigation that's taking place, that's for sure. I mean, the adversary that you're looking for, specifically mentioning specific acts by this specific operator and referring to him on the, on the Internet, on posts, and you don't even call the guy? I mean, I, I can think of a whole bunch of things that I would want to ask about you know, what he did when he was there and what his thoughts are and a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of things. But, but not only that, I mean, and not for nothing, I think Williams has a phone too, right? He should pick up the, the, the phone and call his old colleagues and ask him what's going on. <laughs> you know, have a conversation. So for Williams' part, he says that he feels abandoned by the U.S. government. He feels... That is like a betrayal. He feels like, I, he said, I was targeted by shadow brokers because of that work. I do not feel the government has my back. And that's not, that's not good. <laughs> so for decades after its creation in 1952, the NSA is seen as all but leak proof. But since Mr. Snowden flew away with hundreds of thousands of documents in 2013, then that notion has been completely shattered. And the Snowden trauma led to the investment of millions of dollars in new technology and tougher rules to counter what the government calls the insider threat. But NSA employees say that with thousands of employees pouring in and out of the gates and the ability to store the library's worth of data in, in a device that can fit on a key ring, it is impossible to prevent people from walking out with secrets. So this comes right back to the questions that we asked before. You know, can you trust an army of young techies? With, with some of our most sensitive secrets. And how, how, do you, how do you do that? Outside the technology piece, the human piece of this. The agency is investing in other possible leaks as well. It has active investigations into three former NSA employees and contractors. Two had worked for TAO, still publicly identified software developers secretly arrested after taking hacking tools home in 2015, only to have Russian hackers lift them from his home computer. And the second one, Harold T. Martin III, a contractor arrested last year when FBI agents found his home garden shed in car stuffed, stuffed with sensitive agency documents and storage devices he had taken over many years when a work at home habit got out of control. The third is a young NSA linguist arrested in June who was charged with leaking to the news site, The Intercept, a single classified report on a Russian breach of an American election systems vendor. Mr. Martin's gargantuan collection of stolen files, including much of what the shadow brokers have, and he has been scrutinized by investigators as a possible source for them, for the, for the breach, but officials say they did not believe he deliberately supplied the material that they have examined whether he might have been targeted by thieves or hackers. But according to former NSA employees who are still in touch with active workers, investigators of the shadow broker thefts are clearly worried that one or more of the leakers still may be inside the agency. Yeah. Well, apparently they are. If active workers are telling former employees stuff they shouldn't be telling them about active investigations in the NSA, there are a lot of leakers, 12 of them on this story. It's really time to start to crack the whip here. I mean, when's the last time you have seen someone in the United States government be held accountable for leaking information? It's time to start making examples out of these people over there. 
some TAO employees have been asked to turn over their passports, take time off their jobs, and submit to questioning. The small number of specialists who have worked both TAO and the CIA have come in particular attention out of the concern that a single leaker might be responsible for both the shadow brokers and the CIA's Vault 7 breaches. Which is, you know, that's a commonsensical scenario to me. I mean, that's commonsensical in the investigation process. Um, they have to do their due diligence and run that scenario all the way through, in my mind. I mean, the mole hunt is inevitably creating an atmosphere of suspicion and anxiety. While the attraction of the NSA for skilled operators is unique, nowhere else can they hack without getting into legal trouble. So the boom in cybersecurity hiring by private companies gives TAO veterans lucrative exit options. So young TAO hackers are lucky to make $80,000 a year, while those who routinely find jobs in the private sector pay over $100,000 a year, the, the article says. But, I mean, come on, I think you can, you can get me more than that. I think, that, I think that's low. That's a very conservative number in my mind. For many workers, the appeal of the NSA's mission has been more than enough to make up the difference. But for over the past year, former TAO employees can say increasing number of former colleagues have called them looking for private sector work, including gray beards, quote-unquote, that they thought would be NSA lifers. So people are rolling out of there. You know, I'm sure there's a bunch of patriots over there that are just, you know, dedicated to their jobs, dedicated to America, dedicated to their mission, and they're getting grilled. Now, and they're being, you know, probably accused by a bunch of polygraphers and who are trying to do their jobs to try to find out who the insider is, and it's killing morale. Another TAO analyst told the Times that Snowden killed morale, but at least we knew who he was. Now we have a situation where the agency is questioning people who have been 100% mission-oriented, telling them they're liars. I mean, one thing, I mean, that's great. I mean, that's what you want our adversaries to know, right? That everyone's got a box of tissues on their desk and we're in disarray. I mean, whoever's telling the Times this, I mean, shut up. I mean, what purpose does that serve other than to help our enemies? Because the NSA hacking unit has grown so rapidly over the past decade, the pool of potential leakers has expanded into the hundreds. Trust has eroded as anyone who has access to the lead code could be regarded as the potential culprit of the insider. Some agency veterans have seen projects they worked on for a decade shut down because implants they relied on were dumped online by the shadow brokers. The number of new operations has declined because the malware tools must be rebuilt, and there is no end in sight to the misery. Wonderful. A former TAO employee opined to the Times, how much longer are the releases going to come? The agency doesn't know how to stop it or even what it is. First of all, Does this sound like the most ignorant thing to say to a reporter if you are a trusted officer of the United States government with top secret security clearance, probably higher? I mean, come on, man. What are we teaching these people over there? Grow up. On August 13th last year, a new Twitter account using the shadow broker's name announced with fanfare an online auction of stolen NSA hacking tools. We hack equation group, the shadow brokers wrote. We find many, many equation group cyber weapons. <laughs> I mean, does that sound like an American to you? Where's the American sounding guy? Because I want to read his post. I guess some officials thought that those posts were not from an American. I don't know what gave it away. I'm running out of time here, so I'm going to have to start to wrap up, but the leaks have renewed a debate over whether the NSA should be permitted to stockpile vulnerabilities it discovers in its commercial software to use for spying, rather than immediately alert software makers so the holes can be plugged. The agency claims it has shared with the industry more than 90% of flaws it has found, reserving only the most valuable for its own hackers. But if it can't keep those from leaking... As the last year has demonstrated, the resulting damages to businesses and ordinary computer users around the world can be colossal. So Mr. Williams said it will be years before the fallout of the shadow broker's breach is really understood. Even the arrest of whoever is possible for the leaks may not end them, he said, because the sophisticated perpetrators may have built in a dead man switch to release all remaining files automatically upon their arrest. Williams closed out his interview by adding that we're obviously 
dealing with people who have operational security knowledge. They have the whole law enforcement system and intelligence system after them, and they haven't been caught. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.